It's so great to be with you all this morning who are here and who are tuned in from wherever you are online. My name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at The Journey, and it's an exciting time for us to, to celebrate what God's done over the past 10 years. As Malia mentioned, all month long we're going to be doing that. And in conjunction with that, last week we kicked off a new teaching series on gratitude, which is going to run from now all the way on through Thanksgiving. And our theme verse for this series is taken from 1 Thessalonians 5.8. And if it's up on the screen, I'd love for us to, to say it together. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And the big idea that Pastor Tom shared with us last week is that gratitude is more than a quality we should hope for, but it's a holy habit to be cultivated. Not just something that sort of happens to us or doesn't happen to us based on how things are going, but something to actually intentionally practice and intentionally pursue, a holy habit. I want to just quick recap three of the the main points from last week to bring us up to speed. One is that gratitude is actually commanded by God. So again, not just something that might or might not happen in our lives, but something God calls forth from us, calls us to be grateful. Uh, And secondly, related to that, gratitude is not dependent on circumstances. If it were, there'd be days we were more grateful than others and people who would have a much, much... um, easier time of it, but gratitude as God defines is based in something deeper than that. It's not just on circumstances, but thirdly, gratitude is rooted in God's grace and our connection to him. And that is what we're going to explore today. The rest of the series, we'll, we'll look at, you know, what does it really mean to practice gratitude? But today, I want to focus on what is our basis for gratitude that God has given us. God hasn't just commanded gra- us to be grateful and then left us without a foundation, left us without the means and a reason to be grateful, but he's given us a constant cause for gratitude, no matter the circumstances, which is his grace to us, God's grace in our lives. For a Christian, that provides an unshakable, unbreakable, and untakeable basis for gratitude always. And if you're someone who's exploring Christian faith, exploring Jesus, this is the kind of thing that that can be yours, a steady and constant cause for gratitude, the grace of God. And it's actually the basis of the word gratitude, the root of it, is, is grace, that which is freely given to us. So to explore this grace that's the, the cause for gratitude, I want to dig into a scripture from the book of Ephesians. So if you've got a physical Bible or a, one on your device, turn with me to Ephesians 1. This is uh, a place where the Apostle Paul really unpacks what the grace of God is, and he, we see him in this passage actually practice gratitude, kind of giving thanks to God for his grace and expounding on what that grace is. So Ephesians chapter 1, going to begin in verse 3, and just keep it open because we're going to dig in here throughout the morning. It begins this way, "'Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.'" who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, 
in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. So there is a lot in here to unpack But the grace of God as described in this passage is something that reaches way back, way back in our lives, way back into history. It reaches way forward into all of eternity, forever. And it intersects with our lives now in a way that our own past, our own present, and our own future get radically redefined by the grace of God, past, present, and future. And before diving into this passage a little more, I want to point out two things that might not be immediately obvious from reading it. One is that everything I just read is actually one sentence in the original Greek. In our English translation, it's broken into multiple sentences just to make it easier for us to to comprehend. But in the original, it's one sentence. Paul, starting with every spiritual blessing in Christ and then just blah, talking about what that is, and it's sort of, uh, the tone of it is, is gushing. It's really a run-on sentence. I don't know if you've ever been so excited to tell somebody about something or heard somebody do this, and you just start talking, and then you, you can't get, you know, there's, you don't know what to say, and so you, you think of maybe a metaphor or a way to describe it, and then that metaphor, you realize, oh, that doesn't even fully capture everything that I'm trying to say, so I think of another metaphor, but as I'm talking about that, it reminds me of something else, which is also great about what I'm trying to describe, and then I remember that first metaphor, I want to make sure we don't forget, so I come back to that, and I just keep kind of going on and on because I really want to get you to get the fullness of what I'm talking about here. That's the sort of sentence that we're we're dealing with here as Paul describes the grace of God and every spiritual blessing that we have in Christ to be grateful for. That's his tone. And so, man, was Paul just having a really good day when he wrote this? Probably not. Chances are it was a rough day in the life of Paul, as most of them were. One thing we know for sure about when he wrote Ephesians was that he was locked up in prison And it wasn't the first time. This was a pattern throughout his life. Paul was imprisoned at that time, cut off from many of his loved ones, kind of unjustly, actually, and unfairly locked up, not able to do the things he wanted to. And this was fairly typical of his life. As time's gone on, the Apostle Paul, he occupies kind of a privileged place in history. That He's venerated among Christians. His writings have become our scriptures. And even secular historians agree he was a very influential person. But his actual life, his day-to-day life and experience lived on this earth was largely very tough. Filled with imprisonments, tortured several times, beaten, run out of town, rejected by his own people, often cut off and and uh, betrayed, slandered by some that he'd poured his life into. 
And this was written in kind of his later years, towards the end of his life. And for Paul, that was not some golden retirement sort of thing with grandchildren on his knee and lifetime achievement awards for his church work. There was no video tribute to him. He was often, again, rejected, slandered, um, and, and the powers that be rising in the Roman Empire at the time were, were trying to violently stamp out the very movement that he had devoted his life to. And things were going to end that way for Paul. He died uh, executed as a prisoner. So this gratitude doesn't come from awesome circumstances. He didn't write this because things had, had really started going his way, earthly speaking. But he had a cause, a basis for gratitude that transcended his circumstances, and that is what he's gushing about and sharing about here. And that same basis for gratitude is available to all of us who know Jesus now. He uses many images and metaphors to try to capture the awesomeness of God's grace. But the primary metaphor that really drives this passage and uh, revolves around it is found in verse 5. He predestined us, God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. The image of, of adoption is one way that Paul tries to capture what God has done for us. I want to give a kind of cultural word here. It's important anytime we approach the Bible, not just to impose our own ideas on, on Scripture, but to actually understand what is it saying? What is the author really trying to communicate here? And when we think of adoption in our time, in our culture, we generally think of uh, providing a home for a baby or a child who is in need of permanence. But when Paul's readers in first century Rome would have heard adoption, the first thing that would have come to their mind would not be a baby or a child in need of a permanent home. They would be thinking of a wealthy Roman citizen in need of an heir. If this was a common practice, if there was a, a Roman citizen who had wealth or land or status or all kinds of things, but did not have in that culture a son to pass all that on to, he would choose somebody to adopt, to be his heir, not even necessarily a kid, actually, uh, but in that culture, a male, to be his son, to, to just pass on everything. And then this person would have all the riches, all the honor, all the status, and all the land, and the family name, and everything that came with it. Someone who could never attain these things on their own would be adopted to sonship, to be the heir of somebody else. And we're told that God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. So I'm going to break this down bit by bit. So first, God predestined us. Now, predestined can be a little bit of a loaded term in some church circles. But here, as Paul uses it, it is nothing but good news. Something to be thrilled and excited about. It is, it is God's grace reaching back into our past and into history, reaching way back to make a way for us to know him. This theme echoes throughout the passage we read. God predestined us in verse 5. In verse 4, it says, He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. In verse 11, In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to God's plan. Now, to build on the metaphor of adoption, no adoption happens randomly by accident or by chance. There is always an intentional act of choosing involved. And so it is with our coming to know Jesus. It just doesn't kind of happen, but there's intentionality, there's choosing on God's part. Now, it's important that we not get too individualistic when we read this, 
Because everything in here is plural. It's we, it's us. And every you in this passage is a plural you. Uh, But this is a very unique adoption in that it's not just one person, but a people that God has chosen, a people that God has called out for himself, all-inclusive, men and women, old and young, and everyone in between, and Jews and Gentiles of all cultures. This is what God had in mind before the creation of the world, a people, an ethnically diverse, intergenerational family of Christ followers. But then our lives, our individual stories, intersect with God's life and God's story. And how that happens is a bit of a mystery, but we are swept up into something that goes back a long, long way, something God set into motion before we were even born. It's his grace making a way for us to know him. None of us ends up in Christ by accident. God doesn't look around at his family and think, oh, how'd you get in here? None of us snuck our way in. We are deliberately, God was well aware of us long before we were ever aware of him, before we were even born. Any of us who come to faith in Jesus can look back in our lives and see that God's grace was there all along, drawing us in, making a way for us to know him. Our stories of coming to faith in Christ are not so much about us finding him, but him finding us. He makes the first move. He is aware of us. He sets his affections on us, and he chooses to bring us in to his family. That is a cause for gratitude, to be chosen. Whatever rejection you may have experienced or are currently experiencing or run the risk of experiencing personally or even culturally at large, What defines you more than any of that is you are chosen by God. And that is a cause for gratitude. He changes everything about who we are by reaching back into our lives. So he's predestined, we're predestined for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. In adoption, we have a new status, a new identity. Whoever we were before, The honor of the family name, the honor of God and all that he has is now yours. God's grace redefines our past and our present. We're told in verse 7 that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We have redemption now because of what God has done for us. When Paul's readers would have heard redemption, they would have thought perhaps of a prisoner of war, a captive or a slave, someone who was bound and kept in imprisonment by someone else and a price, a redemption price would have to be paid to set that person free. And once that price was paid, that person was free indeed. And our captivity to sin, the price has been paid by Jesus, paid once and for all so that we are free indeed. We have redemption because of what Christ has done. We have forgiveness because of what Christ has done. Forgiveness alludes to the fact that when when we do damage, when there's damage done, there is some kind of cost involved that has to be paid in order for things to be clear. And again, Christ paid that cost, covered that cost. All whatever damage we had done to him, to others, to our lives, to the world, we we have forgiveness in him because of what Christ has done. We have redemption through his blood something he did in history that we'll celebrate later today by laying down his life on the cross. It's a sure thing. The cost has been covered. The price 
has been paid. God's grace poured out in that event transforms our present reality, our past reality, whatever labels we might have worn before that you're an addict or you're a failure or you're a loser or you're a a sinner, you're unwanted, you're unloved, you're unlovable, you'll never amount to anything. Whatever labels people might have put on or continue to put on or will put on you, they don't hold weight anymore because of your adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. You have a new status. He completely redefines our past and our present. And that is a cause for gratitude. Now, God giving all of this to us, I want to be clear, was not done begrudgingly or reluctantly or randomly on his part. But the next part, we were predestined for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. In accordance with his pleasure and will. God's grace given to us was given purposefully and gladly. God knew what he was doing. This plan was set in motion a long time ago, long before we were ever born, long before time began. God knew what he was doing. He's not just making up this plan as it goes along. It's not a tenuous thing. It's a sure thing. He knows what he's doing. Verse 11, we are predestined according to the will of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God knows what he's doing and what he has begun, as Phil prayed earlier, the good work he began in us, he will see to completion. He's acting with purpose and not randomly or willy-nilly in the world. And he gives his grace to us gladly. It is his good pleasure, we're told, according to his pleasure. This is all over the passage we read. In verse four, it's in love that we're chosen Verse 6, grace is freely given to us. Verse 8, the riches of God's grace are lavished on us. Verse 9, it is according to his good pleasure that all of this has happened. God is not a reluctant giver of grace, but is glad to share all that he has with those that he's chosen. As an adoptive dad myself, I get a little taste of this at least in my better moments, it is sure a whole lot of fun to share everything I have, all that I've been given, all that I've received, to take it and to just share it with my son. There's tremendous joy in that. And I don't have near the riches that God the Father does. And it's really an amazing thing to have watched my son over time. He started to become incredibly generous with my stuff, and with our house. He freely gives it. Uh, He seems to think there is an endless, limitless supply of hospitality that is available to share with others, with his fellow teenage friends. Any kid in the neighborhood who expresses that they're bored, which is often, his response is, come on over. He shares our house and our stuff quite freely whipping up food, turning the kitchen upside down to prepare meals, rearranging furnitures to prepare a movie night, setting up games in which kids will run all over every area of our house. I love his sense of abundance and his desire to share it. Now, occasionally there's a need for a reminder that stuff does cost money, these floors don't clean themselves, and the adults get really tired. But in that, I need to remember the beauty of this, 
I don't ever want him to lose his sense of abundance and that there is always something to share with somebody else. Because this is life in the kingdom, life as a child of the Father who has chosen us and shares with us all that he's had. There's always something to share when it comes to God's grace. No matter what we've got circumstantially, if we've got the grace of God at work in our lives, there is always some kind of abundance, some kind of overflow that we can share with others. And it's no coincidence at this church we often talk about gratitude and generosity in the same breath. They are entirely related. The most grateful people are always the most generous people. The least grateful people tend to be the stingiest people because gratitude and generosity both flow out of the same thing, a deep abiding sense of God's abundance towards us, which he gives gladly and purposefully. But the beautiful thing is, when it comes to God's grace, when it comes to the riches that he pours out into our lives, the best is yet to come. Again, the image of adoption, as Paul would have used it, referred primarily to an inheritance, to becoming an heir, which begins at the moment of adoption, but there's something to look forward to down the line. And man, do we have an inheritance waiting for us in Jesus. It's a beautiful thing, described a little bit in verse 10 here, when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. God will one day remake heaven and earth. His kingdom will come in full. There will be a place where there is no more sin, pain, death, crying, or mourning of any kind, And that is our inheritance in Christ. That is our home. That is our future. No matter how bleak or bright or painful or pleasant or long or short our future on this earth might be, this is our future. Life with Jesus, sharing in all that God has in a fully remade world. And now we have not yet made the trip to that place, but we've got the tickets. Verse 14 tells us that when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. We've got the, da- the down payment, we've got the tickets, the Holy Spirit, his presence in our lives is a guarantee of what is to come. When God ushers in his kingdom and it's full, we've got our spot, we've got our seat at the table, and it's coming. Here in verse 14, redemption is spoken of as a future thing. It's interesting. Earlier we saw that we have redemption. It is a present reality. The price has been paid for our redemption, and we are indeed free in Christ, but there is still a future redemption yet to come. While we've been declared free from sin, from death, from bondage. We still experience that stuff quite profoundly and abundantly in our world, but there's gonna be a day when redemption is made full and actually will be free in the sense of there actually is no more death, no more sickness, no more pain, no more sin in us, around us, done to us, whatever the case may be, we will be fully redeemed one day. We have a glorious future in Jesus. 
just like our past, just like our present, completely transformed and redefined by the past, present, and future grace of God. And so, as we're told, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for us in Christ. He also provides an incredible basis for gratitude. Apart from Christ, I think this kind of gratitude in all circumstances is really a tall order. Because for many people, past, present, future, future circumstances leave little reason for gratitude. Or even if they're great, the past is over, the present is fleeting, and the future is uncertain. But our basis for gratitude in Christ is a sure thing. It goes back an awful long way, is with us now, and promises to be there for all of eternity.